Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Over the last decade or so, I've noticed a certain trend among those who are introducing others, uh, particularly in public audiences. This especially is true if the person who's making the introduction is expecting or even encouraging the audience to respond with applause. Instead of saying things like, please welcome John Smith, or it's my pleasure to introduce Mary Jones, many of these introducers now say, let's all give it up for Karen Brown. The implication in that language is that by applauding the presence of the one who is being introduced, the audience is offering something. They are giving a sacrifice of praise, as it were. Now, there's nothing inherently sinful in applauding those we appreciate. We did it a short time ago for our veterans. Nor is there anything inherently sinful in using the words, give it up for whomever is being introduced. Wholesome entertainment is one of God's many good gifts to us. And it's also perfectly good to show our appreciation and our admiration for the talents of others, provided that we don't cross the line and begin to idolize them. As Christians, in fact, it is part of our calling to give it up for others. We are to show the love of God for others, for our neighbors, that is, by willingly sacrificing our own selfish interests for the needs of others. Now, we might not give a, a moment's thought or have any pangs of reservation about offering up such a sacrifice of praise by applauding an entertainer or a public figure or someone else that we admire. Clapping your hands and whistling or even shouting your approval is hardly a big deal, is it? It doesn't require a lot of effort or a lot of energy, and you're not likely to experience any sort of difficulty or suffering on account of it. But what if I were to ask you to really give it up for God or for someone else? To truly have to sacrifice something you hold near and dear? Could you do it? Or would you hem and haw and waffle, hoping that maybe I'd get distracted or impatient or that the subject would get changed before you and anyone else had to make a decision about giving that sacrifice? I imagine that for most of us, our willingness to make sacrifices for God and for others depends a great deal upon our level of discomfort or the inconvenience that we would experience. Could we do without that resource or that habit or that relationship? What effect would the sacrifice have upon our lives? Could we adjust without a great deal of difficulty? How would others view us? as principled disciples or as naive fools? If you stop and think about it for a minute, unless there's a significant risk and a significant cost, any sacrifice that you or I make isn't really worthy of the term. The question then becomes, what's your threshold of risk and cost for making your sacrifice to God and to others? Now, not many of us are going to be put in a position such as Abraham was, our 
faith being tested by the Lord and being directed to sacrifice the very life of someone that we love, someone upon whom all of our earthly hopes and dreams rest. Abraham's hopes and dreams, however, rested not just upon the physical life of his son Isaac, but on the promises of God. Nor are we likely to face a martyr's death on account of our faith in Jesus Christ, as did Stephen or Peter or Paul or even Polycarp or Ignatius. They, like Abraham, had a level of trust in the Lord that gave them confidence even in making the ultimate sacrifice that a human being can make. Willing to accept death rather than to surrender their beliefs or compromise upon their witness. Sometimes, however, sacrifices aren't nearly quite so dramatic, even though they might be just as dangerous. We see such sacrifices in today's scripture readings. The widow whom Elijah met at the gates of Zarephath seemingly had nothing to offer the Lord's prophet but a cup of water. She had other modest possessions, though, a cup of flour, a little bit of oil, and even a few dry sticks that she was gathering as they spoke. When she heard the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke to her, however, her heart was turned from despair to sacrificial giving. Facing starvation, she trusted in the promises made by this man of God. She surrendered what had once been her last earthly hope and instead hung all of her hopes upon the word of Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. A similar situation is found in our gospel lesson today. As Jesus visits the temple in Jerusalem and teaches his disciples, he makes several observations. He contrasts those who put their faith in worldly wealth and wish for worldly attention with the poor widow who comes to the offering box with little to offer but much to sacrifice. Like the widow at Zarephath, this widow of Jerusalem gives what little she has but gives every bit of it to the work of the Lord. And in our hearts and in our minds, that never-ending wrestling match begins once again. In this one corner, our, our faith nods in amazement. What faith these women have, we marvel. With nothing left to lose and with no visible hope, these women have thrown themselves before the mercy seat of God. In the other corner, we shake our worldly and rational heads and snort. What fools they were. They should have at least enjoyed, enjoyed what was left of their lives with the little bit that they had. And so we come back to the question, what are you willing to sacrifice for God and for your neighbor on account of your faith? By your presence here, you are showing that at least you've got enough faith to give up a couple of hours of your time, at least this particular week. Some of you will be back again next Sunday. Others we won't see for weeks or perhaps even months. But before you get all self-congratulatory on having made the effort, realize this. It's here in the divine service, and yes, it's the divine service, not the church service, that God is serving you, giving far more to you than you would ever be giving up for Him. You're really not sacrificing a whole lot of what's really and truly important to be here, are you? If you think so, Think again, if your pride will let you. What then, for you, defines sacrifice? 
Would it be a sacrifice to spend as much time each week reading and contemplating and praying over God's Word as you do answering email and texting and navigating Facebook? Is sacrifice putting as much time and effort into preparing and giving a Sunday school lesson for eager young minds and smiling young faces as you put into a presentation for work or for school? or even for making your picks in the office sports pool? Is sacrifice putting as much of your resources and abilities that God has provided to you in spreading the gospel as you put into spreading your influence, or spreading rumors, or spreading around your retirement investments, or even spreading your waistline? What is your sacrifice? I can't define your sacrifice any more than you can define mine. You have to let God's Word and the work of the Holy Spirit upon your heart govern that by putting away all of your sinful resistance and your selfishness. What's more, I can't force you to sacrifice what you ought or how you ought by badgering you or by making you feel guilty about it. If what you give of yourself and of what God has given to you is done out of compulsion or under duress, that's not sacrifice. That's extortion. A meaningful sacrifice can only be given voluntarily, out of a sense of love, not out of a sense of guilt or fear or obligation. That is why God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver, and certainly not a resentful or begrudging giver. You see, Elijah didn't force that widow at Zarephath to give up the last of her flour and oil to feed him. He brought her God's promise of bountiful love and divine providence. And she received faith and trust in that promise and was moved to sacrificially love both God and her fellow man. Likewise, no one was demanding that that widow in Jerusalem that Jesus saw in the temple give up the last of her worldly wealth She not only put everything from her purse into the offering box that day, she poured out herself, too. That's love. That's trust. That's sacrifice. That's faith. In a few moments, we will confess our faith, too. We will use the words of the Nicene Creed. We'll say once again of Jesus, as we so often do when too often in a dead and monotonistic voice, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Some of you have asked from time to time, why do people sometimes bow or genuflect during that portion of the creed? In part, it's a visual expression that we are acknowledging that by coming down from heaven and becoming a human being for us, the Son of God was giving up something. He was sacrificing for you and for me from the very moment that Gabriel spoke to Mary and the Holy Spirit miraculously conceived that human life deep in her virgin womb. But that was just the beginning of His sacrifice for you, wasn't it? Even though He was sinless, For you, He willingly submitted Himself to be baptized so that He, the Word made flesh, would sanctify the waters of all the earth, including the water by which you were once cleansed and connected to that eternal Word. For you, 
he faced both the best and the worst that the devil had to throw at him. And he resisted his temptations for glory and power and wealth and comfort and pleasure. All of those temptations that you and I aren't so willing to sacrifice. He sacrificed the approval of others by speaking the truth when pleasant lies would have won more friends. And he remained silent when a word from his lips not only would have destroyed his enemies, but blotted them out from existence itself. Finally, as the author of the epistle to the Hebrews wrote in today's epistle lesson, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, sacrificing himself to put away sin once for all. That is sacrifice, dear brothers and sisters. That is the voluntary giving up of something wonderful, important, and even precious and perfect for the benefit of others. Not because of what it gained him, for apart from Jesus, you and I are worthless. Rather, his love for you is so great that he was more concerned with what his sacrifice would gain for you. A completely unfair, a completely unrational, a completely irresponsible and unjust conclusion and a verdict of not guilty when he stands before God's judgment throne on your behalf. There, at the end of your life, he will stand in your place. In the meantime, we wait. We wait here in this holy place made with human hands, a copy of the true things of heaven. We will soon join together here at this altar, a place of sacrifice, and there you will receive the body and the blood of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will eat and drink of the very body, sacrifice on the cross once and only once to bear the sins of many, to bear the sins of all, to even bear your sins. And in your receiving of Jesus Christ, you will also gain the blessed fruits of that sacrifice the forgiveness of your sins, life beyond your death, unity with God and with all of the company of heaven, the strengthening of your faith as you continue to grasp, enjoy, and share the good news of those blessings, of his sacrifice with others. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath waited on the Lord to send rain. The widow in the temple waited upon the Lord to relieve her and rescue her from her earthly poverty in the great richness of her faith. And so we wait on His coming as well, depending all the while on Jesus' perfect sacrifice alone. In the name of our sacrifice, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen.